0: Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Hello, everyone. My name is Simone Uttermark. I'm a director within ICMA's Sustainable Finance Team. This podcast is part of a series dedicated to the social bond market. Throughout the series, you will hear from the coordinators of the ICMA Social Bond Working Group, as well as guest speakers from across the industry, including issuers, investors, underwriters, and external reviewers, all looking to update you on the latest developments under the social bond principles and adding their perspective on this key theme. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the ICMA podcast series dedicated to social bonds. My name is Agnes Gork and I am head of stable capital markets for EME at BNP Paribas. So for those listeners who have tuned in to the first episode of the series, uh, we discussed with Colin Keenan from the World Bank uh, and reviewed the social bond resources available to capital market stakeholders and in particular the resources that were recently updated. And we also covered some of the recent questions we've been asked on social bond. So today I'm here with Begum Gurser, from Stenetics and Félix Grote from Council of Europe. And we are going to discuss the current state of the social bond market. So Begum, Félix, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Félix, maybe I'll turn to you first. So we've seen with great interest, obviously, the increased volumes of issuances of social bonds in 2020. So in your view, why haven't the volumes of, of social bond issuance continued to rise?
1: Hi everyone, and, and thanks. Um, and yes, I think it's a very valid and very good question. In the sense of, um, we all know what happened in 2020, 2021 with COVID-19, and uh, the rapid response by many issuers, also helped by ICMA's guidance back then on COVID-19 for social bonds. There was a lot of issuance, not only by ourselves from the Council of Europe Development Bank but by many other, in particular, public sector issues. um, One can also imagine, for example, the EU's new borrowing program under the Sure program. There were some French issues in particular, like UNIDIG. So in a way, these figures from 2020, 2021, one could argue, uh, are a little bit distorted. And it's just that we're kind of coming back to a more normal world. On the other hand, we've all seen... The war in ukraine unfortunately and some of the public sector issues will certainly play a role also there to finance expenditures um, for ourselves uh, on the Council of europe development bank side. we've already issued two bonds in that respect then there may be also other aspects that going forward may actually lead to further growth and i can imagine a particular one that is regulation um, we can all imagine um, what happens now at the level of the EC towards a potential social taxonomy. If that was indeed developed, I think it's very likely that it would be designed to be consistent with the EU green taxonomy. And in a way, both issues and investors would be uh, needed to disclose alignment with the taxonomy in future, and this will lead to further investment. Then on the supply side, when we look to certain types of issues, I believe that in particular sovereigns and subsovereigns have been still much absent absent from this market. Um, Some of the sovereigns and subsovereigns have only just started their approaches in general to the sustainable markets, mostly with green financing. So I think it's very uh, natural for them to eventually branch out into social bonds as they naturally have sizable social spending. And I think very lately also, we may have seen in the markets that the potential among financial institutions, some of them have started looking at their SME portfolios and the impact that has on jobs, especially in areas with lower socioeconomic indicators, um, like lower GDP per capita or higher unemployment rates. And then lastly, on the demand side, um, we've seen the creation of a handful of dedicated social bond funds. I think something where the social bond market has really been lacking, has really been late compared to the green bond side, Um, and I think the demand for social bonds will generally be much wider from these particular dedicated funds. Um, What can further drive growth is probably also if we see the mainstreaming of social bond indices, similar to the green bond market, which would allow investors to track uh, much more easily and as well as benchmark their performance. And last but not least, I think there's also another area which is developing, this is probably more longer term, there's the consideration of environmental do no harm when financing social assets and considering the issues of social bonds. For example, everything that also goes into the direction of align- Paris alignment, where most of the uh, public sector issues are moving towards a step further and also recognizing that addressing the climate crisis can provide opportunities to leverage positive social transformations so the last bits Mm -hmm. i mentioned are probably for the further future outlook in terms of growth Um, and then coming back to the question the uh, less growth in 2022 i think is just a temporary nature 2020, 2021 was a lot of growth due to COVID, and now we're coming a bit back to a new normal.
0: Thank you very much, Félix. So effectively, it's interesting to see what what has um, really impacted uh, growth over the last few years, what may come. On another topic, maybe a bit more technical topic, Conserve Europe has also recently moved to a portfolio approach, whereas before you were allocated your social projects on a bond-by-bond basis. So could you explain a little bit more what this entails?
1: sure um, so when we started our journey back in 2016 uh, 2017 so first in 2016 the uh, social bond guidelines and then we issued our first bond in 2017 uh, very naturally we went for bond per bond reporting approach and i think for a new comma issue that makes a lot of sense it's more straightforward um and back then we also didn't have immediately Uh, more assets that we could use for the social inclusion bonds. Um, So we back then said, okay, within a year of the bond issuance, we would report, of course, on the underlying assets. Now, with COVID-19, we issued then for the first time in a given year, a second social inclusion bond. So we kind of moved in a way to a mini portfolio. Um, And then we thought, okay, what is the next logical step? And also what we had heard from many of our investors um, that actually a full portfolio approach would be very much appreciated making lives easier for investors in terms of uh, finding the right data on ourselves as a social bond issuer and also in a way of course uh, social or sustainable finance is ever becoming more mainstream so we believe it's just uh, very natural to move to that portfolio approach Um, We will report on the four eligible loan sectors uh, to the entirety of the outstanding volume. And of course, the same on the kind of a balance sheet approach, the same on the uh, bond side. So investors every year will have an overview of everything that is outstanding, both on the lending side as well as the funding side. I think this will be very interesting.
0: Félix, you touched upon as well... um... The, your recent social bonds that have been dedicated to support to refugees. So could you tell us a bit more around what you see at the moment in that respect and how it came about for Council of Europe?
1: Thank you. On that respect, um, with the war that started in March in Ukraine, um, we have seen increased demand from our borrowers, from our member countries, um, for uh, well financing in that respect and you may know that ourselves uh, we have that link with the Council of Europe in Strasbourg and actually financing for refugees and addressing displacements in Europe is the reason why our institution was founded after World War II. Um, over the last decades uh, repeatedly and regularly we had um, lending in that area and uh, now of course with the war in Ukraine There's a situation in Europe, um, yeah, very close to where we live. And the bank has, of course, um, responded with its mandate. Um, And we are, I think, the only MDB that also has member countries that are, yeah, all the neighboring countries from Ukraine. So we responded um, very quickly in April by a first social inclusion bond that was um, responding to the refugee crisis. Um, we had um, then amended our usual use of perceived language for our social inclusion bonds with language uh, around refugee financing. Um, we had also been in contact with the ICMA, and back then um, we very much appreciated, again, the help um, and advice by ICMA during COVID-19 when there was the guidance document published uh, how social bonds could address uh, financing around the pandemic. Um, we were clearly also in favor of such uh, work again here with the war in Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, based on the first social inclusion bond for refugees in April, we very recently issued a second one now in US dollars, actually upsized because of record investor demand. Um, and that time, the bank had already approved certain loans for our refugees so i think the wording was ever more clearer and straightforward um, and that we very much appreciate in particular for u.s dollar issuance the very high share of socially responsible investors um, and also certain dedicated funds that we have not seen in the past or not to that level at least um, so we've yeah for an institution with a mission like ourselves Um, it felt very good to have uh, all that investor support for such a special cause.
0: Thank you, Felix. And indeed, you mentioned um, for the principles of ICMA, there was um, a press release a couple of weeks ago now, effectively reiterating that social bonds were effectively um, very adequate instruments to finance um, supports towards regions affected by conflicts conflict. And in the social bond principle, there is as a target population, effectively, um, support to to migrants. So um, that was reiterating effectively what was already in the principles. Um, Beko, maybe on to you, if you look beyond Europe, um, what would you say are the regional specificities you observe in the social bond markets?
2: Thanks Agnes for the question and having me here today. So like to talk about the trends of social bonds, I think like we should take a step back and recognize that social bonds work very differently than green bonds when it comes to impact. On the green bond side we see well accepted standards that can be applied globally, like mainly due to the presence of global decarbonization trajectories and climate change commitments. However, the credibility and impact of a social bond relies on where those projects are actually financed. Because all these jurisdictions come with different social challenges and realities. Um, What is socially impactful in Southeast Asia might not be very material in Nordics. And this nature of social bonds also makes the social bond market very dynamic and agile because the context changes and it is affected by socioeconomic conditions on a day-to-day basis and we also see this changing context very visibly when we look at the trends of different regions if you look at americas for instance this is a geography that faces challenges around ensuring affordability for housing in the meantime this is also a region where securitization has gained a lot of momentum since last year so Actually, it is not a surprise that we have seen many mortgage backed securities or single asset securitizations for social housing under social bonds. A couple of examples will be BX Commercial Mortgage Trust that was generated to acquire a mortgage loan originated by different parties, also, GP Morgan Social Bond and California Housing Finance Agency Social Bond with similar purposes. But if you look at APAC, this is a whole different context. There are many countries in the region where small and medium enterprises, uh, SMEs, account for nearly all firms and the biggest share of employment. Like South Korea will be one of the many examples of this. And there are also many countries where agriculture is one of the building blocks of societies and economy in the region. So that's why we see many social bonds um, that are aiming to finance and support SMEs for unique target groups and a lot of microfinance. Um, some of these examples will be Keksum social bond from South Korea with SME financing and COVID response measures and also higher social bond from China. China um, that really intended to support agriculture SMEs and smallholder farmers. Um, but in the meantime, in Europe, this is this is again a different geography where most of the essential services are actually public or subsidized. That's why channeling social investments towards increasing access to essential services actually much easier and less complex compared to other sh- regions. And that's why we see a lot of healthcare education and also social housing in the region. A um, like couple of examples would be KBC social bonds uh, and also, of course, Council of Europe Development Bank social inclusion bond that also finance housing, education, health and social care and potential stage housing in the UK. So All these are like some of the current trends, and I'm sure we will be seeing different trends and developments in the coming years with the social landscape evolving on an ongoing basis.
0: Thank you, Begum. Um, Maybe I'll stay with you just on on the second-party opinion providers um, process. What do you think are effectively the key challenges you face when um, working with issues and arranger to Um, to deliver a second-party opinion, uh, when it comes to really looking at social bonds. Uh, And if you can give us some examples in terms of improvements or areas um, where you see the most developments would be needed.
2: Yeah, thanks Agnes. Very, very important question. So we just say that like social bonds have a bit of a unique nature and geography influences and determines the impacts. And such nature obviously comes with challenges when um, it comes to the labelling and assessment of social use of proceeds. Because there's no magical threshold or definition that can apply to all geographies easily. But however, if we take a step back and just maybe reflect on the purpose of social bonds, especially on the use of proceeds side, I think we can easily say that These bonds are designed to tackle social challenges for populations who face them. So this simple description already indicates where to look at actually. First of all, make sure the proceeds are linked to specific and identifiable social challenges. And second, make sure the bond intends to minimize that challenge for that relevant population without putting an additional burden. I think for the uh, first aspect, which is um, making sure the social challenge and impact case is clear, ICMS social bond principles provide great guidance by simply outlining eligible thematic areas. Um, But the second part, which is really ensuring that social bonds properly serve the right people is slightly trickier, but but obviously not impossible. Um, It could be perfectly possible by using a simple recipe with two ingredients. I always use this analogy Uh, and these two ingredients are target population and affordability. To break this down a bit, um, target population means setting a target population definition that really speaks to the disadvantaged or underserved characteristics of the eligible beneficiaries. And affordability comes into play when the target population is combined with a criteria that speaks to how affordable they will be ensured without burdening that target population. And this simple approach, combining target population with affordability, can really clarify the rationale behind the additional impact case. And what I really like about this approach is that it can be applied to all geographies. um, And the output of this recipe will be actually different across different regions, which is how it's supposed to be as we shouldn't try to put all social impact cases to one box. For instance, an SME located in an emerging area with high unemployment rate could make that enterprise disadvantaged by nature, while the same enterprise based in Stockholm is a whole different impact case. Like For instance, we received this comment from issuers quite often saying like SMEs is crucial for economic development globally, and it should be regarded as impactful regardless of any target population. And my answer to that is... Indeed, there is absolutely no doubt that SMEs are vital when it comes to economic development. But to be able to regard such financing as socially impactful, right SMEs who face some sort of challenges should be financed. And right SMEs can mean all SMEs in certain countries, but in others it might require additional targeting to make the social link clear. And when it comes to affordability, this is also a very, very important topic because we just say that we need to make sure that right population will be supported in right way. So if affordability considerations are not in place, it is very challenging to track whether the investments have been actually impactful in the long term. Like let's take the example of maybe student loans that will be provided to students from low income families. We have the social topic. We have a credible target population, but if those loans do not offer some sort of financial advantages to students, it could result in increasing the risk of large debt burden, especially for those in low income ranges. And the presence of such risk is really tricky in social labelling as it makes the long term impact of the financing unclear.
0: Thank you very much, Vigam. And there was another question wanted to address, and maybe back to you Felix, uh, on impact, which Begum has highlighted as key effectively as part of the second participating process. So when you issue a social bond, um, the impact reporting that you will have to produce as an issuer, which will happen at the latest one year after your bond transaction, um, is really a key part of uh, the delivery for investors, would you say that it gets easier over time as a, as a seasoned issuer, such as Conserve Europe, or would you say there are new expectations from um, investors, um, or second-party opinion that you see in the market?
1: Thank you, Agnes. And I believe it's a bit of both. So the first time an issuer looks at that, it also means that internally, one well on the funding side, you move much closer to your lending side, we need to establish all the different, um, yeah, methods. And then the first recording, yeah, within a year after the first bond is actually quite a substantial exercise. But of course, uh, over time, this gets uh, much more streamlined. On the other hand, there's probably more and more, or higher and higher standards, and or, yeah, what investors may require. Um, And one always wants to be ahead of the curve and improve, of course um one way of course is uh, being with the social bond working group and there's the subgroup on impact reporting and i think which was proved very useful is on the one hand the harmonized template for impact reporting which is kind of an excel table which we thought was uh, yeah not too difficult to fill in and i think for investors easy to read and then to compare between the different issues and i think another um idea we had, I think it was last year, with the social bond working group, was the pre-issuance checklist for social bonds, so just overall helping new issuers that want to come to the market and may be then confronted with, yeah, setting up a framework and then looking at the first um, impact reporting. Now, over time, of course, um, uh, there's a few elements that also Begum just mentioned, yeah, what about additionality? of our financing or the EU, I think, in the social taxonomy, they call it substantial contribution. What is there in addition to the inherent social benefits? What are the additional ones? And I think and or the discussion never ending, what are outputs, outcomes and impact? Uh, So what are kind of the long term impact of our financing, let's say, in 10 or 20 years? But in a way, probably our bonds are not uh, out there anymore at that stage. So kind of that is probably the longer term challenges. Um, But it's definitely uh, easier year by year just by ways of procedures and, and methodologies internally to prepare such reporting. Thank you,
0: Felix. So thinking now as we look ahead, um, maybe Beckham, what do you see really as the new trends and opportunities to be developed in the social bond market?
2: Just to maybe build up on what we discussed previously, Agnes, because I think opportunities go hand in hand with the realities of different jurisdictions. Um, we said that starting point when it comes to social labelling is making sure the thematic area is impactful in that geography. So in that sense, I think we can say that any socioeconomic struggle comes with possibilities to raise social financing. I think the market is already very well familiar with some of the common themes such as housing, education, healthcare, and SME financing. But still there are many other social areas globally that require urgent investments. Some of this will be food security and sustainable food systems, also promoting inclusion and diversity, sanitation or even access to electricity. And all these areas can be supported by issuing social bonds and they're also aligned with ICMA suggested eligible project categories. So maybe just to dive into one of them and and visualize together, for instance, I always find food security is an interesting and also promising category because it opens the door to a wide range of different use cases. Um, For instance, when we look at Indonesia. This is a country that really faces domestic connectivity challenges due to its geography and this comes with many infrastructure problems, including food warehouses, especially in rural areas. So this specific issue itself can be regarded as an opportunity for a social bond and can be financed by sovereigns, banks or corporates who invest in infrastructure. Another example would be governmental programs that really try to improve the livelihood of farmers while generating sufficient income and food for households. We see this for instance in in Thailand, um, where the government has specific programs for small and medium scale farmers, and that is actually a perfect use case for a social bond. And if such programs are in place in a country, it means there are also lots of financing opportunities, not only for sovereigns, but also for financial institutions and corporates financial institutions can for instance easily play their part through raising debt to provide the loans to eligible farmers or project financing. I mean look we just came up with uh, multiple different use cases just for the food security category. And there are many other areas with lots of opportunities. I think um, it is important for the market to gain further awareness on how social bonds can be channeled to some of these, let's say, less conventional themes. So issuers can also take a step back and connect the dots between their local context and potential social financing. In that sense, I really recommend all potential issuers to check ICMA's social bond case studies guidance as a starting point and also reach out to their relationship banks or external reviewers to explore different themes and gain better understanding.
0: Thank you very much, Begum. Thank you very much, Felix. It was a pleasure really having that conversation, hearing all your insights. So there will also be forthcoming episodes to drill down on some of the topics that uh, we have touched upon today, but didn't have time to cover um, in details. In particular, Felix touched, uh, you touched up early on on uh, what were the potential types of issues that will come uh, more to the market. Uh, We'll have a dedicated episode on corporate issue actually of social bonds and then other episodes on impact reporting on investor demand and expectations so please do stay tuned thank you for listening for more icma podcasts and further information on capital markets please visit our website
2: icmagroup.org